Hello, and welcome to this podcast from Valley Church of the Nazarene. We are located at 228 Madison Avenue in Monte Vista, Colorado. I am Pastor Chris Yoakum, and I am so glad you have tuned in to listen to this message. I would also love to invite you to join us on Sunday morning for our small group discipleship classes starting at 9 a.m. for all ages, and our worship service starting at 10.15 a.m. We have many other activities and Bible studies throughout the week. Please visit our website at valleynaz.com and our Facebook page for more information. Our prayer is that you encounter the God of the Bible and come to know the joy of salvation through Jesus Christ, that you be equipped to engage the world for Christ. Thanks again for listening, and may God bless you. I you to stand and turn with me to Daniel chapter 11. We're going to begin with um, verse 24b of Daniel chapter 11. We have a high regard for, for God's Word. We believe that it is inerrant and infallible. We believe that um, that is the case with the original, original text, which we don't, know, we don't have those. We have good textual evidence, and so we, we need to be good students of God's Word. And... Um, but we believe that the Lord is able to bring us to the truth. We hold out His Word as authoritative. Hear the Word of the Lord this morning, Daniel chapter 11, starting with verse 24b. He will plot the overthrow of fortresses, but only for a time. With a large army, he will stir up his strength and courage against the king of the south. The king of the south will wage war with a large and very powerful army, but he will not be able to stand because of the plot plots devised against him. Those who eat from the king's provisions will try to destroy him. His army will be swept away and many will fall in battle. The two kings with their hearts bent on evil will sit at the same table and lie to each other, but to no avail because an end will still come at the appointed time. The king of the north will return to his own country with great wealth, but his heart will be set against the holy covenant. He will take action against it and then return to his own country. Father, we're thankful for your word. Again, we're thankful for your reliable witness, Daniel, we're thankful for the messenger that was sent to him to give him this word. Lord, we know that it has been very valuable to your people, um, and may it be valuable to us. May you attend with us in both the preaching and hearing of your word, we pray. And we will make a room in our hearts for your word. Bless us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So as we come to this particular text of Scripture, two Sundays ago, um, we talked about the temple from, how the temple went from symbol to idol, and um, so this is kind of kind of add on to that and add some, some more depth to, to that. I know I had to rush through that, and so hopefully we can gain a, a greater understanding of what's going on here. Very difficult scriptures, as I have said, very difficult to interpret, very, very difficult to try to figure out what is going on here and then apply it to our, our day, but hopefully we can do that this morning. Just as a matter of review, Antiochus Epiphanes was an, an illegitimate leader. He is a usurper. His brother was actually in line for the throne, but he came in and usurped the throne he was a despised person, often called Epimenes instead of Epiphanes, which meant madman. 
Antiochus searched for legitimacy. He was in a constant search for legitimacy, as were all the rulers, right? Every ruler that came up, you got you to realize that, you know, human beings, they would only last for a period of time and they would die and then somebody else would take their place. And so every ruler was looking for legitimacy. That's often why they would be called Ptolemy, which is more of a ruling name, but then they would be called, like in this case, Epiphanes, means God manifest. But there was many other names. His, you know, Antiochus' fa- father was Antiochus the Great. And in the Ptolemies, you had um, Soter, which was Savior. You had Philometer, which was um, love of the mother, Philopater, which was love of the, the father. They were given these names, again, to, to give legitimacy to their, to their throne and their, their rule. And so they, everybody wanted legitimacy and longevity, and they were always searching for these things, but especially so for Antiochus Epiphanes. You remember back in our study, he, he had been sent to Rome as a political prisoner, and he wasn't even supposed to be on the throne, um, and yet he, through, through treachery and through his scheming, had, had come to this place. And so he was always, he was searching for legitimacy. Um, I really think that he... You know, if you could, if you could gather up inform, information, do some kind of a psychological uh, sketch of this man. I mean, you know, I believe he had a lot of a lot of different issues, but one of the greatest greatest things that he was dealing with was, you know, he he wanted to be something great. He really wanted to be something great. Um, we know that Ptolemy, the the Ptolemy uh, that had died just before Antiochus came to power. His name was Epiphanes as well. They gave him that name as well, Epiphanes, Ptolemy Epiphanes. Um, and we know that Antiochus Epiphanes' father, Antiochus the Great, had given his daughter, Cleopatra, who was Antiochus Epiphanes' sister, to Ptolemy Epiphanes. And I believe that there was, there was a lot that Antiochus was dealing with there. I believe that, that he was a man who perhaps was not really loved by his family, and I believe he was just constantly searching for, for legitimacy, constantly searching for some kind of affirmation. And I think in that particular sense, since he was a, really a, a small man, small person, put it that, he, that through his treachery had come to a very big position, he became very wicked and very evil. And Satan was able to use and manipulate this man in a a tremendous way. If you look historically, his death was very tragic, very tragic, uh, much like Judas who betrayed Christ, right? Once it was all done, he had great grief and died tragically. That's kind of how Antiochus Epiphanes' life was. And so, in verse 24b, I, I said two Sundays ago that it talks about him planning his fortress design, which is interesting. Just as a note here on 24b, in the NIV, it says he will plot the overthrow of fortresses. I think the NASB has some kind of a design against or something like that. But in the original text, there is no sense of against. There is no overthrow. None of it's there. And in your particular translations, that typically the, the, uh, those who interpreted the Scripture um, interpreted that way because uh, Antiochus was a bit of a warlord, and so it seemed like he was always against. But the, the original, as it the way that it says it is really that he'll plot his, his fortress design. The word for overthrow there, the Hebrew word, this is the only place that it's translated overthrow. In almost every case, it's, it's either design, plan, or scheme. 
And I believe what it is talking about here is that Antiochus really had a plan for the temple. He really had a plan for the temple, and I believe one of the reasons for that is because Satan had a plan for the temple and wanted to use Antiochus Epiphanes. But Antiochus Epiphanes had a plan for the temple to use it, to use it for, to help legitimize him. I really think that he did believe that. And I think that's what it's talking about here, especially as you take into account what we'll see towards the, the uh, last part of, of Daniel chapter 11. Um, that's what the Antichrist, I believe, is going to do again. Uh, the wording that, that is used there is very, very interesting. But Antiochus is searching for, for legitimacy. Antiochus planned his fortress design. And I want to take a brief moment just to put, try to put ourselves in the place of God's people during this time. I want to look at the idea of legitimacy, that word. If you look at the definitions of legitimacy, one of them from the from Encyclopedia Britannica is a popular acceptance of a government, political, or a political regime or system of governance. Another one from Oxford is conformity to the law or to the rules. And then from also from Oxford, the ability to defend with logic or justification or validity. And the reason I bring that up is because our, our nation right now is in a search to find, to, to find out ways to legitimize things. We're looking for legitimacy. And oftentimes you will hear this word used, um, you know, if things don't, don't work out the way that, that some people like, they say, well, that's, that's an illegitimate thing, maybe a, a judge or a political person, illegitimate. But I think we have to look at what are some of the sources of legitimacy just based on, on these definitions. Well, one of them is popular acceptance. And that's a big question right now. If, if you can get popular acceptance of things, does that legitimize it? I mean, if we have enough people who are willing to say, to say that this is the way to go or this is right or this is wrong, does that make it legitimate? That's a huge question in our nation right now, right? I mean, if, if we have certain things, that, the directions that our nation's been going for a very long time, but what, what happens if you get, you know, enough people who want to go a different way? Does that, does that mean that's the way we go? Popular acceptance, is that the source of legitimacy? Just getting enough people to accept it? How about conformity to, to the law or to the rules? Is that uh, the, the true source of legitimacy? Right now, we're, we're going through this great battle for the Supreme Court justice, right? And that's the big question. I mean, is that a true source of, of legitimacy? Is conformity to the law or to the rules? We want to put the Supreme Court justices in. Well, what happens, you know, when they are, are put into place? Are they able to then legitimize things? I want us to see that when we have human individuals who are invested with that kind of power, that they are able to give legitimacy to, to things like homosexuality, when they are able to give legitimacy to a redefinition of, redefinition of marriage and sexuality and gender and all of these things when they are able to give legitimacy to murdering babies. You understand how dangerous it is to give human beings that kind of power? It's a tremendously dangerous. 
How dare we give human beings that kind of power that they can come in and redefine things that God has defined? How dare we give them that kind of power? How dare they accept that kind of power? Do they have the right to do that? Do they have, how about, how about the legislators? Do we give them that kind of power that if we, if we change the laws? That's a huge question right now. I mean, if, 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 these, if the laws change and the laws of the land change, does that all of a sudden bring legitimacy to things that in the past have been either perversion or wrong, as seen as evil? That's a huge question. You understand that this is the reason why the stakes are so high in this election is because we have given this kind of power to human beings and to governments and to, to judges. We shouldn't have done this, and yet this is what we've done, and so the stakes are so high, we've become so polarized, because now the election, I mean, think about everything that hangs in the balance. Everything hangs in the balance. How about the ability to defend with logic or justification or validity? Well, that's where a lot of people go, right? What about scientific evidence, right? You hear that a lot. Science says, science says, science says this, and science says that. How dare we elevate again human beings or anything to the place of God and say that, oh, well, if, if this says, how about force? Is that a source of legitimacy? Might makes right. Folks, this is the question with which we are dealing in our nation. The Supreme Court is the highest legal authority in the United States of America. The U.S. Constitution is the supreme law of the land in the U.S. But here's the question. Where does the Constitution and the Supreme Court get their legitimacy? Folks, that really is the question. That really is the question that everybody's asking right now. And that that answer to that question, and every person has to answer that question. Where do they get their legitimacy? I'm going to kind of leave that hanging out there, but I just want you to think about the fact that everybody has to answer that question. And that question in a little less than a month is going to become the preeminent question. What is legitimate? Where does, do these things get their legitimacy, right? I believe they come from, from God. That is a question that people are going to have to answer. So here, here we are in this situation, right? This is, these are situations that we really shouldn't be in as a nation or as a world because really there's only one God and He has spoken, and we believe that uh, He is the one who, who is able to be the definer of human sexuality and marriage and gender and what is the beginning of life and how to treat human beings. We believe that the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, God the Father, God and Father of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is the, is the one who has the right to do this and He has spoken. We believe that. But what about, what about if you get enough people who don't believe that? What happens then? See, these are, these are all questions that are, we're, we're trying to answer right now. And you've got a lot of groups over here that are like, well, you know what? Hey, we'll just, we'll just go out here and we'll start burning and tearing stuff up and, and that will get our way that way. And eventually... 
That is the answer for a lot of people. But these are questions we have to answer. Now, the reason I bring this up is because in our text, this is exactly what Israel was dealing with. In Israel, the high priest was the highest religious authority, and the Jewish temple was a symbol of the high priest's religious authority. But here's the question that they had to answer. Where did the high priest and the temple get their legitimacy? Right? I mean, you've got to realize that the, the nation of Israel was an occupied nation. And it's interesting that if you look historically, you had um, the nation of Israel, and they were very divided between the, the northern and the southern kingdoms. And oftentimes, you know, you had a particular uh, king in the south, perhaps, that would kind of protect uh, the nation of Israel, and then maybe, maybe that would shift to the northern kingdom. But it's interesting that for the most part, all of the kings kind of took, took the opinion that the Jewish people should be able to worship their God the way that they thought, right? The, the right way, that they should be able to do that. Matter of fact, you had many, especially in the southern kingdom, many of the kings who were very favorable to the Jewish people and would, would bless them in a great way. It's an interesting note of history that a hundred years before Antiochus Epiphanes, uh, Ptolemy Philadelphus commissioned the um, translation of it's the um, Pentateuch, which is the first five books of the Bible, into the Greek language. Also, his father, Phil, uh, Ptolemy Soter, he had went, when he became to power right after Alexander, he went in and he uh, went into Jerusalem and took a whole bunch of people captive and took them back to Egypt. And about that time, they began to translate the Old Testament into the Greek language, and then, then um, Ptolemy Philadelphus had the law translated into the Greek language. And so you can imagine at that point, they, these people began to read the Old Testament in their language and began to, can you imagine all of a sudden they're reading Daniel and seeing these things? And so it's amazing. You had different views that they would, they would take. Some of them really wanted to worship Yahweh, wanted Yahweh on their side. Many of them saw the temple and saw Yahweh as a, as a political tool saying, you know, if we, can, if we can control Him or get Him on our side, He, can give our, he could give us legitimacy and longevity if we can get Him on our side. So some had good motives, some had ill, kind of like in Jesus' day, even as some people began to even believe that Jesus was the Messiah, but instead of saying, well, we'll fall down and worship Him and obey Him, they said, wow, He could really be an asset to our cause, right? And so you had this tug of war that was going on. And for the Jewish people, understand, all of a sudden, this particular king, he wins out. Remember, remember the, the uh, Scripture that talks about a, a sweeping flood was swept out of the way for Antiochus. Everything began to go his way. All the right people started to die. Um, the southern kingdom it was now ruled by a six-year-old child. Everything was going his way. Um, Antiochus, he, um, there was a guy by the name of Hyrcanus who had, just, who had died, and Antiochus went and took all his wealth. And so Antiochus, all of a sudden, in just almost an instant, became so powerful. And he was a man who was just very smart, and he was treacherous and very cunning. 
And I believe part of that became then because Satan used him as a tool and gave him that cunning. But you can see the way the Antiochus took, took charge in that way. And so the Jewish people, um, you know, Antiochus, one of the first things he did was to, to try to gain hold of the high priesthood, right? And then he gained hold of the temple, and he began to change the, the, the ways of the Jewish people. So from the Jewish people's standpoint, it seemed like, hey, the Greeks have come, right? And the goal was, to, for, from Antiochus Epiphany's standpoint, was to get everybody to go the Greek way, which he believed was his way, which was going to give him, again, more legitimacy and power. And so this was the struggle for God's people. What to do when in this overwhelming force comes in and starts to say, okay, everybody's going to go this way, right? And they use force, and they use all of these different tactics to say, we're going, we're going left, we're going to go in a different direction. So Antiochus in verse 25 and 26, this chronicles Antiochus gaining control of the high priest and the temple. He made plans to invade Egypt. Antiochus It says there, with a large army, he will stir up his strength and courage against the king of the south. The king of the south will wage war with a large and very powerful army, but he will not be able to stand because of the plots devised against him. Um, Just a quick note, I'm going to read this out of Josephus just so we can hear what he says about this. He says, now Antiochus, upon the agreeable situation of the affairs of of his kingdom, and it's interesting that just prior to that, the paragraph just prior to that, what, what Josephus was talking about was Antiochus gaining control over the, the high priesthood and the fact that, that they built a gymnasium in Jerusalem and then the priests and all of them were going the Greek way. Everybody's going the Greek way, right? Now, Antiochus, upon the agreeable situation of the affairs of his kingdom, resolved to make an expedition against Egypt, both because he had, he had a desire to gain it and because he condemned the son of, of Ptolemy as now weak and not yet as not yet of abilities to manage affairs of such consequence. So he came with great force to, to Pelusium and circumvented Ptolemy Philometer by treachery and seized upon Egypt. Um, and so this, was, this is the way Antiochus was thinking. Again, the time is, is perfect. Antiochus wanted to rule both the north and south, and I'm sure he wanted to rule the entire Greek kingdom, which again was divided in, into four. And so... Antiochus sees his opportunity, and he goes in and invades Egypt. And I believe what happened was you had Antiochus had set up people who were um, in Ptolemy Philometer's um, realm, or in, in even in his his household. Remember that Antiochus was Ptolemy Philometer's uncle, so he had people who were treacherous. And so what Antiochus was able to do was come in and defeat. Ptolemy Philometer, and capture him, and he took him hostage. And so Antiochus, encouraged by his large army, in other words, he he was stirred up, um, he felt very strong and very confident because he had the high priesthood, he had seemingly all of that wrapped up as far as the uh, the temple in Jerusalem. And now, now that he has this large army, he feels very confident, and he goes, and he is able to, to take Ptolemy Philometer captive. So he sees, he thinks that everything is going his way, and seemingly it is. So then in verse 27, it says, the two kings, now remember, Ptolemy Philometer is now 
there with Antiochus. And what Antiochus Epiphanes did was he was very nice to Ptolemy Philometer, who was his, his nephew, and treated him very well. And so, basically, you've got these two, this, this very young, young child, probably six, seven years old, and you've got Antiochus Epiphanes, and they are scheming together about what they're going to do. Now, what Antiochus wanted to do and what he's going to do is try to send Philometer back to Egypt to rule, but is in, in Antiochus's mind, he will be Antiochus's puppet, and he will have control over Egypt in that way. And so, you've got these two individuals who are sitting there, and they are scheming together. Now, here's what we've got. Two liars who are lying to each other, they're lying to themselves, and they're listening to the lies of Satan, okay? This is what we have. And they are plotting their domination, right, together. And it's interesting because where it, 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 it talks about um, there when they, it says that they are, um, that they're lying to each other, the, the word that is used there is um, also translated often false god, false god. And the idea of, of when it's translated as false god, what it is is, remember that if you're going to worship a false god, what's going to happen is that you are going to invest tremendous power and authority on something that is not real. It has no power. And so, basically, what you're doing is they're, they're making a lie their refuge. So, in other words, they are plotting and scheming and thinking that this is what they are going to do in the same way that often, you know, we will put our hope in things that are, all, that are ultimately futile because they are, they are a lie, they are false. It says to no avail because the, the end is going to come at the appointed time. Here's what it's saying. Their plans were futile because God's end was going to come in God's time. And can I say that this is one of the critical reasons why we do not invest that kind of power in human beings. Because when we allow human beings like a Supreme Court to give legitimacy to a lie, what happens then is people take that as a signal that this is the right way to go. When you have individuals who say, oh yeah, homosexual marriage, no problem. People say, oh, well, then it's fine. Then I'm going to go and do that. And they don't realize that homosexuality is an abomination and homosexual marriage is false and it is not legitimized by God. And so they are going to put their hope in something that is a lie, that is ultimately going to be futile because God is not going to bless it because it is not His plan. This is why it is so critical for us as Christians and for our Christian denominations to stop legitimizing things that are false and go against God's Word because people then put their hope and trust in things even eternally, which are false. They make a lie their refuge. People go and they, and they go a certain way in their lifestyle and they think it's okay because it's legal. Well, the court has said it's fine. Even we've got, even got Christians, we've even got pastors who are saying it's fine. And we legitimize things that God has said are either perverse or wrong or evil. And folks, the reality is that it is to no avail. If you go down a path which God has, has condemned, ultimately, where is it going to lead? To condemnation. We as Christians are the ones who stand up and we stand in the gap and we say, no, that is a wrong way. 
Folks, even when political leaders, if they go down that path, one of the great privileges we have as Christians who know the truth is to stand up and say, no, that is the wrong way. Because if we don't, all of a sudden, everything begins to be legitimized. You know, many of us knew this time was coming, but it's interesting how pedophilia is being legitimized today. Look for this term, minor attracted. You heard that yet? It's not pedophilia anymore, it's minor attracted people. If we give it a different name, if we give it a different name, of course, it completely changes it. It's no longer evil and wicked. And if, and if we say it's okay, well, certainly, if, if, if the court says it's okay and we change the laws and our nation decides every, these things are okay, of course, God will change His mind, right? No, no. God's not going to change His mind. God has already spoken. These are the things that He has said. And folks, the reason why, folks, it is not a loving thing to lie to people because then again, they put their hope in things that are a lie that ultimately God is, has condemned and will condemn. And we as Christians, we stand up. You know, this is why Daniel is such an important thing, <laughs> a book to study during this time. You know, Daniel was a man in high places, Right? And he didn't just bend to every whim of the ruler. No, when the ruler came up with things that were against what God said, Daniel said, well, you know what? I'll, I'll submit as far as I can, but you know what, king? I'm not going that way. No way. And Daniel knew that the loving thing to do was to stand in the way of people going the wrong way. He knew that was the right thing to do. And we as Christians, it is our great privilege to bear witness, to be witnesses of the truth, for our world, so that we can say, you know what, that's the wrong way. That's not the way to go. And it doesn't matter who says that premarital sex, adultery, all of the things, homosexuality, it doesn't matter who says they're okay. If God says they're wrong, folks, they're wrong and they're always going to be wrong. The reality is there is a objective truth. There is a absolute truth that we hold fast to, and we do no one any favors by legitimizing that which is evil. So Antiochus, full of pride and great plunder after the defeat over Egypt, he heads home. Antiochus wanted to secure his title as God manifest. <laughs> he banned the right worship of Yahweh Having secured the high priesthood, he made sure that they were going to pervert the right worship of Yahweh. They were going to, he was going to make sure that the, the Jewish people, um, it, was, it was horrible. If you look his, historically, absolutely horrible what they did. Um, just one of the things, this is hard, hard to say, but, um, you know, they banned circumcision, which was, again, part of the covenant. And if uh, babies were found that the mothers or their, their, their mother had circumcised them, they would kill them and hang them around the mother's neck. It was horrible, the things that they did, that Antiochus did in order to try to pervert and cause people to stop following the right way. Now, understand from a strategic standpoint, Satan knows that if he can get people to stop being obedient to the covenant, if he can get people to stop following God's Word and doing the right way, his task is done because God's going to bring judgment upon them. And so that's his goal, is to get them to stop worshiping. Now, Satan knows that, again, the remnant, that's where they are. 
And if he can get everybody away from the Holy Covenant, he realizes, he faints in his pride that he can somehow stop the Messiah from coming. So Antiochus wanted to secure his title as God manifest. He banned the right worship of Yahweh. Antiochus was filled with satanic pride and aspirations. Folks, when we give people the kind of power that we're doing, that's what we're doing. We're putting them at great risk because as soon as Satan finds a person who we will give that kind of power to and that person says, oh, I'll take that, Satan says, I'll take that person, I'll use them. Folks, we stand for the truth so that our world and our leaders can know, you know what, we are bearing witness that these, if you, if you go and you go away from God's Word, that is a wrong way. Don't go that way. We are not going to give anybody that kind of power. I don't care who they are. I don't care who it is. A president, Supreme Court, it doesn't matter. If anybody stands up and begins to, to say something contrary to God's Word, we know that our world is going to accept it, but are we? No. We can still submit to the powers that be in authority, and we can say we will not follow that way. We won't do it. We are going to stand up for the truth. When we legitimize that which is false and evil, we give power and authority to the enemy, okay? The next slide. When we legitimize that which is false and evil, we give power and authority to the enemy. We need to realize that this is what is happening and this is what is going to happen at the end. What is going to happen is that, again, you're going to have enough people who are going to go the wrong way and they're going to invest tremendous power in human beings. We're going to, we're going to place them in the place of God, right? When we give people that kind of power, when we give anything or anybody the kind of power to stand in God's place and redefine these things that God has already defined, when we do that, folks, watch out. We give great power and authority to the enemy. This is what is, has happened in the past. This is what is going to happen in the, in the future. And we as Christians, those who are Bible-believing Christians, just like Christians in the past, it is our great privilege to stand up for the truth and say, no matter what way the world's going, we're going God's way. You may, you may run headlong into hell, but you're going to trip over us on the way, right? And we say that to everybody. We say that to President Trump. Let's pray for him. And whoever, whoever our leaders are, we say to them, you know what? We're, we're, we're going to bear witness to God's way. And don't start to think that somehow you can put yourself in the place of God. Realize that you need to submit to God, the true and living God. Folks, and I know this is a very challenging thing to say. We live in a, a, a plurality where we believe in, in, in religious freedom and all of this. But folks, that does not mean that in any way we're saying that all religions and ways are legitimate. There's a right way and a true way, and everything else is false. And they may have the freedom to worship that way, but you know what? We're going to still stand up and say, you know what? That's wrong. That's false. We, we, you need to come over to Jesus Christ. Let me close with a couple of scriptures. Romans chapter 1, verse 25. Romans chapter 1, verse 25.
We've got it up there. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and, create, and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Amen. Folks, this is the state of humanity without, apart from Christ. As I said two Sundays ago, our, our hearts are idol factories. But folks, we, we will not put anything in the place of God, but God himself. We have God, we have his word. Are we going to follow it? What, what is the source of legitimacy, folks? What is the source of truth? What is the authority for us? It is our God. It is His Word. And even if all these other things begin to turn the wrong direction, even if the laws, the laws of the land and the leaders and all of these things turn away, we're going to follow God, right? This is what's going to happen at the end, folks. It's going to be what Paul talks about, a powerful delusion is going to come that God is going to bring. And it, the purpose of it is to deceive those who refuse to love the truth. Paul says that in 2 Thessalonians. If we are not going to be deceived, what we need to make sure that we do is we, just like we're going to read the, the great account of the faithful during this time, may we be faithful like that. We're going to read the way the Maccabees and those who stood up and said, we will not, we will not go that way. Let me close with this. The scripture, it's a Psalms 127. I don't have it on the uh, slides because it came to me during Sunday school. This, this is a good scripture for us as well. I've read this before, but folks, as you go to vote, as we, as we think about our leaders and as we pray for our nation, please remember this. Psalm 127, unless the Lord builds the house, its builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchmen stand guard in vain. Are we going to trust in our powerful military? Oh, we can, go, we can go away from God. We've got such a powerful military. Forget it, folks. God can decimate anything He wants. He's the one who raises up. He's the one that brings down. In vain, you rise early. Think about this. I want you to think about those who have chosen to go a wrong way in their life. In vain, you rise early and stay up late, toiling for food to eat, for he grants sleep to those he loves. Folks, the reason that we stand up for the truth is because we know that God's way is the only blessed way. Every other way God has cursed, he's going to curse, and he's going to be eternally cursed. Folks, we are not haters because we speak this. We are lovers. We love people. We tell them the truth. We're going to tell them the truth. We're going to say, this, that's a wrong way. This is the right way. Many will not believe, but some will. In our day, are we going to be those who stand up for the truth? Satan wants so much for, in any way he can to get us to violate the Holy Covenant, to violate God's way. And folks, we have to admit that in many cases we have. And in the same way that the trials and tribulations that God's people face during Antiochus Epiphanes, they will, they will readily admit, you can read it in the account in the Maccabees, they say, listen, this was done for our sanctification. This was done because we had walked away from God and God brought this to bring us back. And folks, the things that we're going through in, this, in our time, may they, may they do the same thing. May they sanctify us 
We, will we pray that the church will be sanctified? Will we return to the, to the right way, the right worship of our God, and then call others to us? People are grasping at straws. They're putting their hope in lies. May we share the truth with them that they may find true hope. Let's stand. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord God, that, Lord, you are the one who calls us back by your word and by your Holy Spirit. And the great thing is that when we come back, when we come back, even if we have gone astray, Lord, there is a remedy and there is a way back through Jesus Christ because we can confess and agree with you of our sin we can find forgiveness through the blood of Jesus Christ. And I pray that each one of us this morning, if there are some here who have strayed away, who have failed to live a life worthy of the calling, that we have been called to bear witness to the truth, the greatest truth of all, the truth of Jesus Christ and of your word. Lord, if we strayed away from that, I pray this morning that we would repent, turn back, find forgiveness. Oh, Father, I pray that you would be with Lord, our each individual and each family, Father, Lord, we know that the enemy is doing everything he can to make us ineffective, to make us fearful, but oh Lord, may we be bold. May we have boldness to match the challenge, may we have boldness that matches the threat, may we have boldness, and Lord, may you give us wisdom that we may have the words to speak so that when we have opportunity, we can speak the truth. And may we do it from a heart of love. Oh, Lord, may we do it from a heart that says, please don't go that way. Come back. Come back. Lord, we pray for, your, for deliverance from the evil one and his schemes. For each one of us individually, for our families, for our church, for our nation. Oh, Lord. We do pray for your guidance and help, your mercy. Oh, Lord, as we've had this time, I pray this morning it wouldn't be that we checked off a box and went to church one more week. Lord, help us not to forget what we've read and heard. Oh, Lord, I pray that you would help us, that we might be active as your witnesses. Lord, help us to be do our, our part as citizens. Help us to do it, realizing also that we are citizens of heaven first that our King is Jesus Christ and help us to live lives that reflect Him and bring glory to His name, to Your name, Father, and exalt Your Word. Lord, help us to pray together. Lord, help us to pray individually. Lord, lead us back to that time of, of prayer and supplication and fasting for, these, for this time. Oh, Father, forgive us for our apathy. Forgive us for giving into fear. Forgive us where we have simply sought to go with the flow. Lord, this is our time. This is the time you've placed us. Lord, there are no exceptions. It's, we can't say, well, oh, Lord, this is so exceptional, Lord. It's okay if we, if we just uh, sort of hide or, or go the way of the world. No. No, it's never been easy. Jesus, you promised us if you, we followed you, we would be hated. We would have trouble. Lord, help us to be ready for that and go forward anyways. Help us, Lord. Dismiss us with your peace, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. You are dismissed.